Salutations, Mets fans, and welcome to this week's edition of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and with me this week is Chris McShane. Chris, this is actually old news, but we're doing our bullpen preview this week, so I'm using it now as our opening question. Yes. Jairus Familia changed his theme, his walkout music, from Danza Caduro to a custom song from Dominican bachata artist Zacharias Ferreira. Ferreira? It's Ferreira. So if you could change the walkout music of one Met this year, who would you pick and what would their new song be? So I would go with Lucas Duda. Mm, he uses all along the watchtower right now? He does. And I'll stay with the artist that he chose. But I've always had a thing with all along the watchtower that I, it, it kind of felt like an outcast that, that was forced into that album. And, uh, you know, on, on its own, it's all right. Nothing wrong with it. It's a good song. But it, if you're going with Hendrix, uh, I have him come out to Machine Gun. Mm. And it's got, you know, the, the first 15 seconds or so, which I think is about what they use, is. Uh, it's relaxed, but it's to me peak Hendrix, the, the the best you can get. And you know, Piazza used Voodoo Child's Light Return, so I wouldn't want to use Mike Piazza's song for him, but I would go with that. It's a strong, uh, it's a strong take. I like that. <laughs> Originally, mine was to be I'm going to change yours, Felia's back to Dance of Caduro. <laughs> we probably can't do that. I'm hoping because he did the he did the Mets Twitter account takeover, and somebody asked about using Danza Caduro. Like, I'm totally going to use Danza Caduro, so I'm fine if he walks out to the uh, Ferreira song, and then instead of using like you know how it transitions transitions into Are You Going to Go My Way, oh, it yeah. just transitions into Danza Caduro when he starts warming up. I'm okay with that. I can <laughs> I can make my peace with that. I'm actually going to change Wilmer Flores's walk up music though. Okay. Um, and I actually kind of like it right now. If in case you were wondering, it's "To Make Camas" by uh, Chino and Nacho, and it's it's peppy. It's 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 fine. Like again, it's a good first fifteen seconds. But I feel like you need something new to reflect his status as you know my main man, future playoff hill, hero, Wilmer Flores, the millennial Ed Cranepool, and of course he's now also America's favorite shortstop and very much a New York guy. So like you need a New York song. Um, and my list is going to skew towards being a very white guy who grew up in the Connecticut suburbs. But when I think like new like songs that sort of transport me to New York. Um I have a list of four. And it's Decepticon by La Tigre, Psycho Killer by the Talking Heads, Heart of Glass by Blondie, and Sure Shot by the Beastie Boys. Nice. Like I really like Decepticon, but it feels weird using like a Post riot girl feminist battle rap for Wilmer <laughs> Flores's walk up music. Yeah, he, he might be like too nice of a guy to. Yeah. Uh... And Heart of Glass and Heart of Glass and, and Psycho Killer are just a little too like of their time. Yeah. So I'm going with Sure Shot by the Beastie Boys. Okay, I, I like, like it. it. It's very New York. I think it works. It's got the nice little like flute intro. Yeah, I'm there. I'm with that. Yeah. He could get tips uh, from David Wright in that regard. And sure. David Wright could get tips from David Wright in that regard as yeah. well. I, I, I wouldn't mind if uh, David Wright went back to Brass Monkey. And he used uh, Sabotage for a while, didn't he, too? Yeah, I think so. 
I mean, they all used, and I forget whose idea it was. It was, it was some Scott random... Hairston's. <laughs> yes, yes. So the the day that MCA passed away, they all used Beastie Boys. Oh, they I mean, they used No Sleep Till Brooklyn. I feel like sort of in the pregame music mix. Yeah, already. But I just it's for whatever reason. Again, I'm a a white dude from the Connecticut suburbs. So just Beastie Boys are very New York to me. Yeah, I know. I think that's fair. And now they're very Wilmer Flores. Chris, we're counting down the scant few hours till opening day 2016. It still doesn't feel real. It's been a very short off-season, it feels like. I mean, it was a shorter off-season than normal for the pod. God knows. Uh, yeah, it's uh, that's one of the biggest benefits of getting that far into the season. Hmm. A whole extra month of without the nonsense. Recording this on Wednesday night. Mets kick off their 2016 season Sunday in Kansas City. And all that is left is the bullpen preview, and you're some sick weirdo that likes talking about relief pitchers. So you like claim this off the bat? We were doing this a month and a half ago. Yeah. So we will go through the Mets 2016 bullpen, such as it is and such as it looks. The dawn of another season. We'll answer your emails, but as we've been doing lately, we'll start with some spring training news. And Chris, as I always suspected, really even feared at times. This is episode 178, 178 episodes. I always knew in my heart of hearts that at some point we would be leading off the show with a discussion about Matt Harvey's penis. <laughs> and here we are. Yes, we, we are here indeed. Like, I don't want to make fun. Like I can imagine just waking up one morning peeing blood is not a fun experience. Right. I'm a hypochondriac myself. Uh, I had a, this is going to delve probably way into too much information but i i'm trying to eat healthier recently i I was just in new orleans for a week for a wedding so that went out the window but in general there's a lot of pork belly and a lot of bourbon but in general i'm trying to eat healthier so probably a month back or so i made a a nice dinner i roasted some beets sauteed up the greens served them with some goat cheese a little vinaigrette i think some walnuts right nice nice light healthy dinner not too hard to make. Woke up the next morning peeing bright orange. And that freaked <laughs> me out. <laughs> so I can only imagine what Matt Harvey's going through. And I get like I get not making fun of it too. It's like, you know, it's always gonna be Twitter fodder. You know, Met's Twitter in general tends towards the sarcastic or the nihilistic even gallows humor, certainly. But this, you know, there is a certain absurdity of like Matt Harvey having a very serious press conference where he needs, where he says to the assembled New York City media, "I need to pee more." <laughs> yeah, and I think that was a, an honest moment for him. Yeah, but, it, uh, it really even transcends LOL Mets in a way. Yeah, yeah, it does. It transcends a lot of things. And you know, like the whoever responsible for designing those back pages in the tablets, his eyes are just growing wide. There's just too much information to process at once. Too many things <laughs> going through his mind. I always wonder what those people think when they see that the other paper had the exact same. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the post just like they shot their entire wad had like seven separate covers inside. Oh, I didn't even see that. Yeah, so they had the regular, you know, you got to relieve. And like, here are our alternate suggestions, and we're just going to keep listing them around the article, like sort of bordering the entire article. Nice. Yeah, there's I, too I many. There's too many. <laughs> I'll have to check that out. 
But it's all, all's well that ends well. That Harvey is going to take the ball opening day in Kansas City. He's fine. It's Matt Harvey, man. It's just... Uh, it's always something about being a Mets fan. It never... <laughs> I guess, you know, I always joked, I think, in the beginning of spring trainings about, you know, the inevitable intercostal strains we always joke about. Yes. Hamstring pulls. And, I mean, Cabrera had the knee issue, though it sounds like he'll be ready for opening day. I would not have bet money that the most serious injury, such as coming out of spring training, was Matt Harvey's penis. That would it wasn't on the list. I think the last time I was on the podcast with you was the early spring training preview, and we tried to predict who would be the first person, yeah, and and what it would be. Uh, so yeah, no, I didn't think that Matt Harvey's urination schedule or habits would uh, you know would would ever come up ever as a Mets fan. Uh, we but, already we already kind of lived through it with Moises Alou, so. True. Yeah, there, there's a little history. I don't know. I don't want to make jokes. It's kind of like, again, I would be kind of freaking out if I woke up one morning pissing blood. Right. Oh, and I get why he doesn't think it's funny. No, I, it's not funny, really. Right. But it's... It's, <laughs> uh, it's March, man. Yeah. Terry Collins is talking about playing Eric Campbell in left field against lefties over Michael Conforto. Gallo's humor is the way to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think uh, that that goes the old, not talking about things that Terry Collins says yeah. r- rule. I think that's a good example of of why that rule exists. Mm. And we'll stop talking about what Ma- Matt Harvey says in March too. Move on to our bullpen preview, and start with Jair Uh Hot take: I think Jair Samilia is be pretty good in 2016. Yeah, yeah. I'm on board. I mean, up until his last couple spring training appearances, he was excellent. He's had some hiccups the last few appearances, and the spring training velocity isn't there. But I feel like I don't remember specifically that this happened in 2015, too. He was not the incumbent closer at that point, of course. But I feel like his velocity was down in 2015 as well in March, and that was sort of a story. Yeah, I think so. And it's one of those things that I wish we had a little more objective data on, but since we don't have pitch effects in the Grapefruit League, really, um, you know, because I was thinking about the same thing after I'd been down there, not so much with him, but more with DeGrom. But, you know, you you go to look back, and aside from digging through old stories and newspapers, and finding references to velocity in there, you know, there's not sort of an objective measure. But I think that was the case with Familia last year as well. I just, it would be nice to have an objective, hey, look, this happens every year, and it's, you know, the guy ends up being fine. Or, you know. And I mean, you have DeGrom, you know, sitting in the low 90s or whatever, and Matt Harvey has just had a couple starts like that, too. You've got Noah Syndergaard throwing 101. (laughs) And I don't, I don't know... I have no medical or scouting basis for this to say it's okay that Syndergaard's throwing 101 in 
spring training and that J.R. Familia is saving his bullets. But I, I kind of want Familia saving his bullets for the season. Like, I, I'm okay with him not airing it out now. Because for whatever reason, I maybe because it's like a, you get the high leverage, high velo reliever guys, you always are a little worried about their shelf life because he's done it for two seasons now and he's been excellent. And if you look at the data on guys that, that throw this hard in sort of one-inning bursts, you know, obviously Mariano Rivera is the is the huge outlier here. But even guys like, uh, who popped to mind reason, B.J. Ryan, um, you know, even Kimbrell saw his numbers slide back a little bit last year. These guys tend to have like three to four year peaks at best for the the top level relievers. So you do it's always kind of in the back of your mind. And before Famili- this last run by Famili, he did have some some elbow issues of his own. And you know he's throwing ninety mile an hour sliders and ninety three mile an hour splitters and ninety eight mile an hour two seamers. So it's like it's fine. Take it easy. I don't have a huge problem with that. I'm not horribly worried about him. Yeah, I think the big theme coming out of spring training is not being worried about anyone in particular, you know, at least relative to the pitcher that they were coming into spring training. I mean, this this team seems to give zero shits about spring training, which is fine. It's about (laughs) the same amount that I give, so. I guess see Gabriel, you know, a pitch a couple times on TV. I'm good. Let's start baseball. That's all I needed. I was watching, you know, Luis Guillorme in World Baseball Classic games. Anything closer or more closely approximating real baseball is fine by me. I actually uh, picked up on something, and I still haven't gone through all of the photos, but I picked up on something that I didn't see because I was shooting it with the camera. Uh, but it was just during during drills of some sort, infield practice. There might have been a base runner running, but Guillorme's fielding a ball. And he fields it with his glove. He, you know, he's he's, uh, he's coming in on the ball, and he fields it with his glove in between his legs. And he makes a seamless between the legs transfer to his right hand <laughs> to throw it to so, first. So I was talking about this with with Toby when we did the effectively wild Mets preview earlier in the week. There's just something about shortstop defense, and Guillaume specifically. It's It's different than other like great shortstop like like Francisco Lindor, Ray Ordonez, Raphael Fercal, uh, Brendan Ryan, guys like that. Jason Bartlett. You know, think about peak Elvis Andrews. You think about what those guys can do physically at the position. You know, peak Cal Ripken's. I think another good example of that too. Guillermo's physical tools don't match up to any of those guys in any way, shape, or form. Uh, Ordonez is probably the closest comp um, on an athletic level, but, I mean, Ordonez had a... I mean, at his peak, it was probably an 80 arm, certainly a 70 for most of his career, and Guillaume doesn't have that, and that will cover for a lot of things. The thing about Guillaume is it's... Like, if you were going to program a robot to play shortstop, like that, like the action is just what it would look like. It's so effortless. Like the the processing time for him is just 
so much faster. Like the game literally slows down when he's playing shortstop. When he's at his best, I mean, he still needs more reps uh, at faster game speeds and at higher levels, of course. But when it's he can do things that he already does things that you don't teach, and he does he does things that you shouldn't teach. <laughs> it's really kind of amazing. Um, and I may, I guess you can play a little bit of second base. It sounds like Ahmed Rosario is going to start the year back in St. Lucie while the weather is warm down there and cold in Binghamton, which is great because I'm going to be seeing Binghamton five times in April. <laughs> Such is life. Um, but he is, inc- it, it's, I mean, he's fun to watch, but it's just, it's magic. It's like, what is the. Uh, of the exact uh, nature of the quote. Uh, oh, it's uh, yeah, it's Arthur C. Clarke. Any advanced, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Mm. Like that's the best description of Luis Guillorme's defense I can think of. But we're not supposed to be talking about Luis Guillorme. We're talking about the Mets bullpen. Yes, we. Yeah, I mean, we're going to di- we're going to probably be digressing because it's the bullpen preview. <laughs> it's probably a thing that's going to happen. Their primary setup man, Chris McShane, is probably going to be Addison Reed. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I like him. Yeah, I actually kind of like him too. I don't. Once you get past like the elite shutdown reliever, I mean, this isn't the Yankees bullpen. Right, it's not the Royals bullpen. Other teams have really stocked up. This is the two that jumped to mind immediately. Red Sox have a pretty good pen, no? Red Sox, yeah. The Padres, but they're making everybody available now. They already traded Nick Vincent, so. Yeah. I, I guess it's fine. It's like, I don't know. It's seems like Addison Reed, Antonio Bastardo, and Hansel Robles. Yeah. They're going to they're gonna figure out the seventh and the eighth inning with those three dudes. And yeah, okay. Once we get past your familiar, we're into now the reliever churn section of the group <laughs> where any of these guys could be optioned or DFA'd by like June 15th. And I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know. Who do you feel most comfortable with in the eighth inning? Hmm. I think Reed. Yeah. That's probably the safe slash boring slash right choice. Yeah. I mean, it's, you look at what he's done over the course of his career and the strikeout numbers are good. The walk numbers are good. The home runs are average, you know, nothing, nothing alarming there. And, you know, he's always, the ERA has been high, but he spent so much of that time in, in Arizona. And, um, and in white in USL year field when that didn't play particularly pitcher friendly either. Yeah. So, you know, you take that all into context and, I don't know. He's he, something about it that I have a little bit more confidence in him. It's probably just the walk rate, you know. I mean, Bastardo does a lot of the, you, you know, he strikes guys out, you know, coming in. He's got the highest strikeout rate in his career of anybody in this bullpen. Um, well, maybe Jim Henderson aside, I'd have to double check. Uh, but yeah, I, but he walks a lot of guys, so. Yeah, there's something with Reed. And also there's a little familiarity there. And I know his last outing of the season did not go well. But 
from the time the Mets traded for him until that night in the World Series in the last game of the year, he was uh, he was very very good. So it was it was sort of this guy who, you know, maybe you drafted in on your fantasy team one or two times over the years when when he was set up as or not sorry not set up when he was a closer. I definitely uh, had him at least one year in my AL only league when he was with the White Sox. Yeah, so you know. He, this guy that you're kind of familiar with and you know you know the things he does well and all that. So he's sort of an idea unless you like were really religious about watching other teams on MLB TV. He's sort of this idea and then he gets traded to your favorite team and for two months he pitches as well as he's ever pitched over two months in the big leagues. So that, that might be why. Bastardo might end up being better this year. I just haven't seen him pitch real innings in a Mets uniform yet. Yeah. And again, never predict the next 60 innings of a reliever's performance. Then you end up with like Ramon Ramirez in 2012. <laughs> or Scott Atchison in, was that 2013? 14? I think he was a 13. Yeah. It all, all those bad Mets teams blur together after a while. I think Hansel I think Hansel Robles for me is getting a little bit overrated by Mets fans. And I like Hansel Robles. I've seen a lot of Hansel Robles. Hansel Robles is a low arm slot righty with a big fastball and occasionally an idea where it's going. Which hey, that's a useful major league pen arm. I think the idea that he's gonna step in and pitch high leverage innings for this team is a little ambitious. Yeah. I mean, the encouraging thing with him, I think, was that it, he, well, in some regards, he improved as the season progressed. Uh, the strikeouts went up, the walks went down, the the home runs though did not. They they skyrocketed. So it's sort of an interesting overall. You, you look and say, okay, he's doing some things better. By well, the end I mean, of he, he likes to challenge guys in the zone with that fastball. Yeah, and sometimes that's going to work, and sometimes you know. Kyle Schwarber is going to hit it 450 feet. Yeah. <laughs> I said, I think he's a useful pen arm. I think he's he'll be up for most of the season. And again, we're sort of into the section where it's like, uh, Hansel Robles, sure. Eric Goodell, sure. Jim Henderson's looked good in the spring. Touching 95, the slider's got some bite to it. But there's no... I mean, I do wonder, like, they had some pretty good bullpen performance, especially at the beginning of last year, first half of the season or so. Yeah. You know, before the Clippard and, and Reed deals, which probably wasn't sustainable, but it's, it's, if you want to look at a place where things could go, like, pear-shaped in a hurry, uh, the bullpen is one of them for me. And I guess that's true of every team. Though it does feel like the, you know, the building model now is the Royals model or the Yankees model, where you just get three closer level relievers, and that's easier said than done because you have to either develop them or spend a fair amount of money for them. I mean, Miller and Chapman are both getting paid like closers, if not high end, clo- high end free agent closers. Uh, Batances, of course, is a is a pre arb guy. So they developed him internally, but. You know, going after those guys is easier said than done as well. So it's tough to 
make that work. You know, they could have tried to trade for, say, Jake McGee or somebody of that ilk. Right. And they didn't. So they're going to count on getting some length from their very good starting pitching, which isn't the worst strategy in the world. But, I don't know, a little, like every season going into the year as a Mets fan, I'm a little nervous about the bullpen. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think the... The upside here with them is that uh, they, you know, that they have this sort of, you mentioned the churn, you know, a little earlier, the the people that they can pull. Yeah, I, I mean, it's like, like Seth Lugo, Jeff Walters, I mean. Um, well, I'm thinking more. Smoker. Whoever, right, yeah, Smoker. Yeah, sure, I like Smoker, but. I, w- I want to see him get a shot. I'm not rooting for anybody else to fail or get injured, but yeah. this is a baseball season and there will be openings. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, Josh Smoker's 90th percentile outcome as he turns into a good late inning reliever. Yeah. That's not so nothing. It's not nothing. I'd like I'd like to see him get a shot. Um, and then, you know, this mix of the last, the final four guys, you know, uh, Verrett, Goodell, Gilmartin, Henderson, you know, I feel like if if somebody falters or if somebody gets hurt and you're you're dipping into that pool or if it's Lugo or, or <clears throat> Smoker or whoever, you're certainly not getting a, a known experienced major league sort of reliever, but the ability to sort of throw a guy in and see if it works and and ride that might be there. So you know, I mean, every bullpen is probably one significant injury away from, go, you know, being downgraded. Yeah, I mean, this team is very much reliant on J.R. Smilia pitching a healthy 70-ish innings as an elite-level closer. You know, if he had taken that fastball off the wrist today instead of Andrew Miller— be a panic city yeah. this would be the precise geographical term yeah or the suburbs as sandy alderson referenced <laughs> was it port saint panic <laughs> right, you have anything else to say about this bullpen hmm about- i'm curious to see jerry blevins over a longer span of time sure know? sure and I'm curious to see, we, we were talking, um, I was having a conversation in St. Lucie with Carrig, and uh, the the use of the lefty specialist, or the improper use of it, came up in that conversation. And I said at one point, well, it, it's going to happen. Like, the Mets are going to lose a game this year because Jerry Blevins pitches to a righty when he shouldn't have. Yeah. that's That'll happen. And, you know, I, I like him. I don't hate Terry Collins, but I have... If there's one thing I feel safe predicting this year, it's that. So, I guess I'm curious to see... Chris Coughlin's Chris Coughlin still employed somewhere? It'll probably be involved Chris Coughlin. <laughs> it's a pinch hitter off the bench that should have... That ter- oh, Frank Hoare. Frank Hoare. Yes, he yes. made the Braves officially, right? Yeah, he did. So Blevins is going to face Jeff Francoeur as a pinch hitter at some point. Yeah. Much to the surprise of Terry Collins. Because that's the thing with like the second lefty, though I guess technically he's the first lefty because they're going to use Bastardo as a crossover guy. They're, like, You bring him in to face Bryce Harper, okay, fine. 
You bring him in to face Christian Yelich, Freddie Freeman. There's like that second tier of lefties in like the sixth or seventh inning you bring him in to face. It's like, yeah, they're going to pinch it with Jeff Francoeur. They're going to pinch it with Chris Coghlan. Of course they are. So you, would you rather have Blevins facing Coghlan or would you rather have Noah Syndergaard facing, I don't know, uh, let's say you know, Nick Swisher isn't on the Braves anymore because they released him. I think he actually got traded to the Indians too at some point. It's tough to keep track. <laughs> Just know the Braves are going to be really bad. Yes. And John Gant's going to make that team as their fifth starter. Yeah, that's... He hasn't pitched in AAA yet. Right. And I like John Gant. I do. I really like John Gant. I don't think he's the second best prospect in the Braves system, but I like John Gant. It's just, it's it's weird to me. Like Luis Sessa making the Yankees bullpen? Yeah, cool. Okay, fine. Yeah. I, uh, I, the I Yankees, if you want to talk about bullpen churn... Yeah, know, the, they have a ton of have... churn. That's fine. I mean, he's right. probably going to be an up and down guy for them. I was never a huge fan, but yeah, he's a, it's a, it's that kind of major league arm. Fine. Like John Gant making the Braves out of spring training is good for him. It's his hometown team. He's like from the area. I think he's from Savannah. Uh, originally. It's like a cool story and everything. It's just like, I saw like somebody tweet that today. I'm like, wait, what? And I've been following the Braves spring training, mind you, but. Right. It's just one of those bizarre things. <laughs> What were we talking about? Oh, Jerry Blevins giving Blevins. up a big dong to Jeff Francoeur at some point this season. Yes. Yeah, that's nailed on. <laughs> you can put that in the uh, in the teaser or in the parlay, really, with Daniel Murphy hitting some ridiculous home run in a high leverage spot against Addison Reed this year, too. Because that is also going to happen. It's okay. It's the bullpen. There's going to be ups and downs. It's the way it goes. Yeah. Everyone kind of hates their bullpen. Unless you're the Royals, then, you know, your bullpen's great. Put all your first-round picks in there. And guys you traded first-round picks for. I, I, I am not a doctor. I don't know what this means. But since we have the ability to provide an update while we're recording, uh, Andrew Miller, for those Mets fans who are concerned has a chip fracture in his wrist, according to a CAT scan, according to Jared Diamond. We need the injury expert. Yes. That's it. I think think we covered the bullpen. I feel like sufficiently. It might be good. It might be bad. Jared Smollett has a new walkout song that probably won't be as good as his old walkout song. That's the big news. Jim Henderson might be interesting. Or he might be off the team by May 1st. I don't know. Was it a Blaine Boyer that made it like a week in that bullpen one year? Yeah. Yeah, Probably be better than the Blaine Boyer, Greg Burke era bullpen. Yeah. Yeah. It would be cool if he was actually good, you know. It would be a neat story. They seem to like him. There was a... I was listening to an effectively wild a ways back. I think they were doing their non-roster invitee or minor league free agent draft where they draft minor league free agents based on how many plate appearances or batters face I think they'll get. And Jim Henderson went fairly early. I guess the story is the Mets like contacted him like two minutes after free agency started to try to get him in as a minor league free agent. So I guess they probably saw something in AAA last year that they liked or winter ball. I don't know if he pitched in winter ball. 
free agency probably would have started before then anyway. But yeah, maybe it's, I, mean, I watched a little bit of him this spring. He was touching 95 and back putting sliders to lefties. That's encouraging. It's the bullpen, man. 91 to 95 and a slider. Throw him in there, see what happens. Only time will tell. I mean, it's not like we're not going to talk about the bullpen a ton this season on the podcast. It seems to be yeah. a uh, matter of concern with most of these Mets teams. But for now, we'll move on to your emails. And before we do emails, we do housekeeping. It's Amazing Avenue Audio, episode 178. Amazing Avenue Audio is the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. You can find us at AmazingAvenue.com. Follow us on Twitter at Amazing Avenue. Also Instagram at Amazing Avenue as well. And join our Facebook group at Facebook.com slash Amazing Avenue. You can follow the podcast on iTunes. Just search for Amazing Avenue Audio and you can listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to do both. I also encourage you to rate and review the podcast. Find the podcast on the Stitcher app. Download directly from blogtalkradio.com slash Amazing Avenue or listen to the embedded player that goes up in the podcast post at Amazing Avenue proper. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. My co-host this week is Chris McShane. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris McShane. That was the housekeeping. These are your emails. You can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. Our first email is from one of our many Michaels. <laughs> the one that is not a big Ruben Tejada fan and has emailed the podcast multiple times about Ruben Tejada. And I just want to get one more time to say farewell. Hello, hosts. I'm surprised there's been so much second guessing pertaining to the release of Ruben Tejada. He spelled it like the sandwich. It's not how it's spelled. We're not making that happen. I don't like pickles for Herrera. It's not <laughs> going to be Ruben for Ruben. Not that Ruben, at least. Even from this podcast, a lifetime 323 slugger with no speed and average at best defense to me is to me a fringe major leaguer at best. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's, it's uh, 45. That's not right. Sure. I don't disagree with that. Sure, his OBP is respectable, but as an exclusive eight-hole hitter, how many of those walks have been intentional or unintentionally intentional? Michael. The bottom line is that any value he brings to the Mets as a solid backup is negated by the fact that Terry always gives him way too much playing time. Perhaps he had a problem with Tejada five years ago, but since then he's in a complete 180, and it seems to be his mission to prove to everyone that Ruben is an everyday player. He arbitrarily cut into Wilmer Flores' playing time in the last two years, and the front office was probably cringing at the idea of a 323 slugger playing about 30 games too many at third, if slash when. Right goes down. Don't worry, we got Eric Campbell on the job, Michael. With Cabrera, Walker, Flores, Reynolds, Herrera, and Chikini, our middle infield depth still appears deep. Personally, I'm thrilled he's gone. I've never seen a player with such limited tools receive so much playing time. Probably a few counterexamples to this. I'm thinking of Eric Campbell, but I don't want to beat up <laughs> Eric Campbell with his entire email. We have plenty of time for that this season. I will not miss his lazy pop-ups or the sinking feeling when his name appeared in the lineup card around 5 p.m. Addition by subtraction, in my opinion. Curious for your thoughts. Can't wait for baseball. Fan as always, Mike. Look, he's a bench player. He can handle shortstop and get on base a little bit. I think the we apply weird standards to Ruben Tejada that we wouldn't apply to any other middle infield bench. Like Ronnie Cedeno or Miguel Cairo. 
And again, those were second division Mets teams. He's better than those guys. And it's a first division Mets team. No one's saying play him every day at shortstop, but you don't just use your one through 25, or if you want to stick with position players, your one through 13 over the course of a regular season. You need a little bit of depth and he's good depth and he's not expensive depth. And, you know, it's, again, can Matt Reynolds do his job? It's possible. You know, if I'm if I'm looking at like, uh, you want me to throw a grade on Matt Reynolds, it'd probably be a 40. That's hot as a 45 regular. Does that half a grade mean a lot? I don't know. If we're 150, 200 plate appearances, 250 plate appearances, maybe. I don't know. Is this a big deal? I don't know. I don't have a lot of answers. We're still, you know. I thought it was a weird decision. And we got to fill an hour every week, so. I don't know what to tell you. I know Greg was very (laughs) emphatic about this last week as I heard through only my right ear on the plane to New Orleans but oh, do you have a strong Ruben Tejada take? Uh, not particularly I mean like shortstop's a dog shit position right now in baseball I mean it's changing you got Correa and Lindor up and right. J.P. Crawford this year at some point probably and there's some interesting names uh Interesting yeah. prospect names, but it's like, it's, but it, it it is bad. It is bad. It's it's like a backup dude that can play shortstop and second base and get on base a little bit and you can fudge against lefties. It's a useful player. Yeah, like nobody's asking him to play 120 games at shortstop. I don't think. I mean, certainly not the Mets is currently constructed. I'll say again, the weird thing to me was. If you knew this was the end game, even after a, a Cabrera knee issue in spring training, and maybe they knew at the time he'd be back for opening day, maybe they didn't. But if you were using him as a bat, you're bringing him into camp in case something like that happened, and then it did happen, and you're cutting him anyway, again, non-tender him, resign Juan Uribe. Yeah, yeah, that's a better fit. He's a better fit for the you know the lefty leading middle infield. Maybe a little bit more of a sure thing at third base if Wright goes down for an extended period of time over Flores. Didn't end up costing much more money than Tejada did. Granted, they gave him the spring training severance. They didn't cost him the two and a half million or so that the ARP award was anyway. But for accounting purposes in the off season, it wasn't. A significant difference it just again it's would i have done it no is it a huge deal probably not again it's more endemic of the sort of short-termism i think that has plagued this front office over the last few years that's all i like ruben tata i think more than most maybe not as much as pat flood but <laughs> no one does <laughs> that's it that's probably the last time we'll talk about him on the podcast until he has like some like random walk-off hit in a late season cardinals mets game that means something yes (laughs) you can throw that into the uh parlay as well 
Our next email is from Mark. Hello, gents. I know as Mets fans, we talk way too much about 1986, but there's one area in which I feel that we may actually underrate our favorite historical club, which is starting pitching. Discussion of that team inevitably and understandably tends to focus on Keith Kidd, Daryl Wally, Wookie, etc. Maybe even Doc and Ron individually. But often less so on that rotation as a whole, as a historically elite one. My suspicion is that this is because the staff was based around pitchers with short elite peaks and more boring public personalities than the guys in the lineup and bullpen. But I still find it odd how little we celebrate that rotation in relation to the rest of the team, given that all four starters finished in the top eight in NL Cy Young voting that year. Y'all recently and accurately pointed out the problematic nature of using counting stats such as war across historical eras. So just to pick an, a good-as-anything-else rate stat, the four primary starters in the 1986 Mets, Bobby O, Ron, Doc, and Sid, ranked 6th, 10th, 13th, and 45th, respectively, in the major leagues in ERA+, plus among qualified starters that season. Just for perspective, the frequently vaunted 1971 Orioles rotation of Palmer, McNally, Dobson, and Cuellar ranked 12th, 17th, 29th, and 42nd in the more ridiculous 1998 praise rotation of Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz, and Nagel. I forgot Denny Nagel was on that team. <laughs> Between Steve Avery and Bruce Chan, I guess, probably. Yeah. Bill Wood was in there at some point, too. Anyway, they ranked once, first, fourth, once. Jesus Christ, I have a margarita and a half before I start recording. First, <laughs> fourth, eighth, and 30th. Well, our boys from 86 may not quite match up with a rotation with three Hall of Famers. They clearly at least belong in this general discussion of the most impressive rotations in Major League history. Which then comes to my specific question. What are the odds that our four top starters this year can match what the 86 team did? It's certainly possible, although everyone would have to be both stay healthy and improved. DeGrom and Harvey were 8th and 11th last year. Thor would have been 31st had he qualified, which he almost did. And Matt seems capable of cracking the top 40 or so even his full first year. So what do you all think? We end up looking back at this rotation as being good, as good as the centerpiece of our most legendary team. Do we end up coming up a bit short? Thank you for your time, as always, and my apologies for the length of the email. I mean, look, if, if this is a very good starting rotation. They could easily do this. Um, as far as the 86 team goes, I think you hit on it. It's like, you have Bobby O and Darling's best season in there. You know, Doc had a, a relatively down year from the heights of 84 and 85. <laughs> and it wasn't a good Sid Fernandez year, certainly. It's like, it's tough because you look at guys like Palmer McNally, Palmer and McNally especially, and Cuellar too to a certain extent, had longer, more successful careers than really all four of those Mets starters. Same with Maddox, Glavin, and Smoltz. So when you like cherry pick a season like that, it, it, it feels great, but the way we sort of view these rotations in hindsight is sort of over the course of their careers more than just like, oh, this was a really good year. I, I think Sid Fernandez is one of the more underrated pitchers in Mets history, certainly. Uh, but yeah, it's, you know, would I be shocked if DeGrom, Harvey, and Syndergaard were all at t- in the top 10 in the NL and ERA plus this year? No. Not in the least. This is a, you know, potential straight out fuck you rotation. <laughs> it is yeah um, and they, look if they make the playoffs it's going to be on the strength of this rotation and this rotation staying healthy and this rotation eating innings and 
This rotation striking dudes out. That's the long and the short of it. The offense is better. You know, it's more balanced. The team is deeper overall. As I said, sort of 1 through 13 on the roster. But, I mean, like you said, Scrum and Harvey were 8th and 11th last year. And Thor would have been, you know, 31st ahead of guys like Cuellar, comparable to Nagel, ahead of Sid. And I think he can improve on that. I mean, this... Yeah. It's like, you know, it's... They're going to have to win a World Series or at least maybe like the Braves make the playoffs year in and year out. I'd be curious to actually... Uh, I suppose I could look this up if I really wanted to. Uh, like the 2010 Phillies or 2009 Phillies maybe. Would be the first rotation that jumped to mind as a... Uh, yeah, that's maybe true. Maybe capable of really... Uh, 2010? 2009? They won in 2008. I think the 2009 rotation was the one that was better, though. I don't love the way... Baseball Reference does these... Numbers... Yeah. In terms of like searching for leaderboards and stuff. All right, let me. Uh... Yeah, leaderboards are not the uh, strong suit. I love Baseball Reference. I do too. Let me just go to but... Fangraphs quick. I'll have to use ERA minus, but it's you know functionally the same. So, uh, advanced. We... <laughs> as as oh, you're it's... doing that, I I think one of the things too is that. You know, uh, hoping for improvement from several players at once. Um, it, it might not even be necessary, but even if you are, it sounds sort of, you know, unrealistic uh, in a in a way in, as a general concept in baseball. But you know, Harvey in his second full year back from Tommy John, Syndergaard still looking like he's improving in in terms of his, you know, his stuff. If if the Warth and Slider sticks, you know, and what he's doing and his approach to pitching, I think there's real reasons to believe that these guys who we already know are very, very talented could improve. I don't like. I don't think it's that much of a reach with with these guys. All right. Apparently, it wasn't the 2009 Phillies rotation I was thinking of. I'm guessing it's 2010. But just for a bit of hilarity, when I clicked on VRA minus chart for. The 2009 season. That was a really good Zach Ranky season where he won the Cy Young, of course. Uh, but the highest-ranked Phillies pitcher was J.A. Happ at ninth. He's 69 <laughs> ERA minus. <laughs> so, yeah. I think that was the season they actually traded for Cliff Lee. All right, let me go to 2010. I think I'm thinking of 2010. Yes, I'm thinking of 2010. Well, see, it's not that, uh... No, Halliday was 7th. Hamels was 35th. I think they traded for Oswald, and he was in the top 30. 
Maybe not. Maybe I'm misremembering the Phillies' relative uh, success in that era. Look at 2011 real fast. Oh, yeah, 2011. Here we go. Yeah, this was the season I was thinking of. It just all becomes a blur after a while when you get old and have a couple margaritas. Uh, <laughs> Halliday was first. Cliff Lee was third. Cole Hamels was 13th. I think if I recall correctly, this was a bad Oswald year. But still, you know. First, third, and 13th in baseball by ERA minus. Nothing to sneeze at at all. But again, not out of line for this Mets team, this Mets rotation. I don't know. It's probably a fairly high percentile outcome for all three of them, but not impossible. Again, you want to talk about 90th percentile outcome for this rotation with like the Grom first and Harvey third and Syndergaard 13th or Syndergaard first and DeGrom third and Harvey 13th really any combination of that I don't think it would be we wouldn't go go back and or look back at it in October like well that was weird didn't see that coming that was like Bartolo first and Matt's third and DeGrom 13th okay maybe we can only hope really though our next email is from Stuart. Hi, Jeff and co-host. Would you ever adopt a Nippon professional baseball team like you did for IFK Gothenburg? This These podcasts run too long as it is, Stuart. <laughs> also, would you consider choosing the Hiroshima Carp as that team? I would, but they have to make a move that is as inspiring to me as the Tokyo Yakult Swallows signing Lastings Millage for a few years. Because that is my current Nippon professional baseball team. My next email is from Liam, and it's a long one. Hello, Jeff, and insert name here, which is Chris for this week. And it works out well. It does. You are. (laughs) I wanted to write in with a few questions regarding the Mets and the minor leagues. Big surprise, right? So it's around 4 a.m. in the city of brotherly love, and I decided to pull up the 2015 Mets roster to lapse into nostalgia. As thoughts of Fireman Bart swim through my head, I checked out the projections for the 2016 Mets. So I'm going to list off a few questions that came to mind, so feel free to skip over any. One, I totally forgot how much value Granderson... I'm just treating these as quick hits. One, I totally forgot how much value Granderson added to this team, compiling 5.1 B-War at age 34 is quite the impressive feat. However, it does make sense that good old Salmon Man's projections are expecting a good amount of regression due to his previous years. While his defense is eh, and some expect the amount of fastball seen will decrease from the nine-year high in 2015. It's good research, Liam. I would not have guessed that offhand or checked it out. Do you think that his pull-heavy and walk-heavy batting profile can outproduce his projections? I mean, I don't think he's going to be worth five wins again. He'd be an above-average major league right fielder. It's in play. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, he certainly can. I'd say likely to outproduce his projections without quite reaching what he did last year. Kevin Long magic? I don't know. Yeah. Two, Amazing Avenue's own Steve Schreiber loves to tell us that Lucas Duda is good. While I agree that he's a quality first baseman, you think of an argument that he isn't good. Does the situation matter if the guy hits dingers? Does one more Flores help or hurt the first base situation? So it helps the first base situation in so much that I'm really going to enjoy the subplot of Keith Hernandez gushing over Wilmer Flores at first base all year. 
yes. because Wilmer Flores like spent some time on the backfields with working with because Keith loves that. Whatever Keith says, he probably doesn't want to be a coach or a, like a full time instructor for the team. But you know, he's in his glory back there in his penguin shorts and whatever. I, I got going over first base defense. I know you guys saw the pictures. <laughs> just going over the fundamentals of first base defense with Wilmer Flores. It's got to be just uh like Keith's an easy lay for stuff like that. I feel like you give him a little bit on the backfield, and he's just going to gush over you all season now. Uh, look, it's Lucas Duda is good. Lucas Duda is a solid average, above average major league first baseman. That's fine. He would say, it's nice. It's nice. It's nice. Lucas Duda is nice. It's nice. It's good. Uh, He's not a main problem or a pressing concern on the 2016 Mets. The whole Lucas Duda is hated by Mets. It's all very weird. There's nothing else to write about stuff to me. And Mets fans are incredibly capable of hating any given Met at any given time. Yes. So I wouldn't really worry about it. <laughs> I think I said it before on the pod. It's like a 55 first baseman. You know, if if the opportunity to upgrade that comes along and you're a competitive baseball team, a first division team, you maybe look to make that move. It's not really something the Mets can do right now. You know, they could have signed Chris Davis, I guess. Would he be better than Lucas Duda in 2016? probably I don't feel super confident about that statement but for the cost in years and dollars why wouldn't you want Lucas Duda on you know Super 2 Arb 3 and Super 2 Arb 4 the next two years Lucas Duda is good three how many at bats will Johnny Manel get <laughs> is it a good thing to raise your floor on a contending team to mitigate the effects of injuries or is it better to go whole hog on your roster is the Stars and Scrubs roster unfeasible in today's game? I mean, I guess the... I mean, there's a few teams that are going to test this theory out this year. I actually think the Marlins... Uh, not the, the Marlins are going to be my pri- primary example. I think the Diamondbacks are a little more balanced than you might think at first glance. But they're probably in that general Stars and Scrubs category, especially when you look at their middle infield. And their bullpen. I mean, I think the Marlins are the more clear example. It's like Stanton, Jose Fernandez, Yelich is pretty good. Maybe D Gordon will be good again. Wei Yin Chen, Jared Cozart, assuming he shaves his sideburns, but he's probably a reliever on a better team. I don't know. I mean, more good players are good. I guess is the shorter answer here. I mean, it's feasible. I mean, Mike Trout almost single-handedly carried the Angels to the playoffs last year. And he might do it this year. But not many teams have a Mike Trout. I mean, I think depth 1 through 25 is more important. Sort of look what happened to the Nationals last year is a good example of that. And that was cataclysmic level injuries, but 
and they end up seeing a lot of very bad Michael Taylor and a lot of very bad Ryan Zimmerman and a lot of very bad Jason Wirth. And those guys, I think, lean more towards the, ideally the star side and the scrub side, but they certainly didn't play like it in 2015. Four, will Dustin Herrera shove his way into playing time? What will happen to Dilson if both he and Neil Walker enjoy good seasons? Does it make sense to keep him in, at AAA for a majority of the year? Does it make sense developmentally? I don't know. Does he have anything to prove in AAA? Probably not. I get why he is in Vegas and Neil Walker is in Flushing. Because this sort of gets back to your previous point about stars and scrubs. I don't think Delson Herrera is a scrub, but there is a higher risk that he is a scrub in 2016 than Neil Walker. This is your high floor. I don't know. You make a strong case, Chris, that doesn't hurt actually playing over Neil Walker at any point this season. No, and I, I like the, I like the move to get Walker. As a position, it's sort of the, the one that I feel the best about this year and for the you know for the few years that follow it. Um, <clears throat> so that you know, at some point, does Herrera get his way? You know, earn his call up again sort of work into if not a full platoon where he starts maybe once a week you know when they're facing a lefty I mean what it, let's say it's May let's say it's Memorial Day it's Memorial Day the Mets are playing well they're a couple games ahead of the Nationals the season is still young Neil Walker is having a Neil Walker e-season you know, 260, 320, 440, 450, something like that. Hitting some bombs. Okay at second base. Herrera's hitting 350 at Vegas. Clearly nothing left to learn there. What do you do if you're the Mets? I don't I don't have a good answer to this question. Yeah. Well, if Eric Campbell's on the roster... <laughs> You send him to Vegas, and then you see what Herrera's got. And not, you know, so you, where do you find him? So the, the problem with Herrera, and I guess it gets into it. So for the, the Campbell example specifically. I mean, the idea of rostering Campbell is he can play first base, third base, and both corner outfields positions, and theoretically up the middle, too. He doesn't do any of those things well. And we, we cast Dilson Herrera as second base only. Could Dilson Herrera play left field better than Eric Campbell? I have no idea. But, you know, you roster Eric Campbell because of his roster flexibility, such as it is. Whether that's actually even true or not. I, I know what you're saying. But there is, you know, Herrera doesn't really fit as a, if there's an injury, like, because he can kind of, like, if there's an injury to Wright or Flores gets hurt, he can really only play second base. And second base prospects or second base profiles in general are a weird thing. So I don't know what you do. But I like Dilson Herrera. And I don't think it's a, uh, you know, is it a quote-unquote sort of the cliche good problem to have? We'll see. These things tend to sort themselves out, I suppose, is the other cliche here.
Number five are the projections of 263, 307, 477 per fan graphs. Sorry, Jeff, I went against hashtag BPRO. Likely for Cespedes, or is it similar to Granderson? In addition, how many inside-the-park home runs will he allow due to padding? Uh, I don't understand. It's uh, just strap yourself in, folks. Cespedes experience. I don't know. You saw more of them in spring than I did because all the spring training games are at 1 p.m. What are your impressions of Ioannis Cespedes this March? Uh, well, when I was there in person, he didn't. He was still mostly DHing. Mm. Um, so I think... I think the hitting line ends up somewhere in between that projection and, and last year. Mm. You know, last year was the career year so far. You you can't ever really expect anybody to repeat their career year. Um, but I'll go in optimistic and say better than that projection, you know, while probably not reaching what he did in 2015. Uh, you know, and if he doesn't hit 35 home runs, that's okay. 25 to 30 home runs in 2016 is still really, really good. So, yeah, I, I think I'm more comfortable with him in center field than probably the average. You know, it's like I keep saying, he has, the, he has the tools to play a scratch or slightly below average center field, and he keeps trying to prove me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's just something. But yeah, I think he'll I mean, be okay there. It's... I mean, you live. Yeah. Even if he hits two sixty three, three hundred seven, four seventy seven, you live with that with below average center field defense. I feel like. Right. Yeah. And, and it's. I feel like some people are very, very concerned about his defense, and I, that I'm not in that camp. I'm willing to live with the occasional, you know, uh, non twenty fourteen Juan Lagares moments. Yeah. For the bat. Six, after my slightly awkward encounter with a certain Amazing Avenue writer in a bar on the night of his engagement. Sorry again, Chris. We'll get that story in a second, by the way. What was the weirdest slash funniest experience doing to, due to being hashtag Mets Twitter famous? Sorry if it was too much. Liam from Philly. So now we will get that. What, what happened here? The only so, story I know from the night of your engagement is Danza Kaduro played in the bar. It, it did. It did come on. Uh, but yeah, the... the my fiance and I met uh, a little over nine years ago at this point, uh, but a mutual friend of ours. Jesus, that's had, longer than I was with my wife before I proposed. Yes. And that was I, like seven uh, years. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, so I proposed a little before the nine year mark, but, uh, but yeah, I would, I would, you know, certainly no shortage of questions from friends and relatives yeah. on that topic. But uh but yeah, we had met through a mutual friend uh, because I was going out to the Rambling House in Woodlawn uh, here in the Bronx, and I had a cousin in town. We're going there. There's a band, a local band playing there that we like. Um, so we go. Friend comes. We meet happily ever after. Nine years later, right? Uh, so we we tend to go back there at least every once every year to have dinner and celebrate. Uh, the day we met but the night we got engaged which was the night before thanksgiving we uh we were originally supposed to go drive up to massachusetts to her family and you know that happens so we decided to go celebrate and you know four drinks in we are not going to massachusetts uh and we you know we, we had dinner and all that and then we moved to the bar there's a fairly big room uh in this place 
so I'm at the bar and, and Liam comes up and asks like, Oh, uh, you know, do you, you're right for amazing Avenue or, or something like that. Are you, are you Chris from amazing Avenue? Some, something along those lines. And, uh, you know, yes, I think I am. And so we chatted a little bit and, uh, you know, I, I mentioned the occasion and why we're there and, and Liam got very, uh, apologetic and he still is in the email here. And it was, there was no need to apologize. We were, we were there to celebrate and, you know, we, if anything, uh, you know, we were in the mood to, to talk to people. So, uh, but yeah, we, we talked a little bit about Met stuff and then, uh, you know, it, it, I, if I made him feel guilty, I'm sorry. Cause I didn't, I didn't mean to, uh, but but he, he wasn't interrupting at all, so that that was that story. But I don't. I I think if I remember correctly, Liam follows me on Twitter, and he probably had seen my avatar back when you could actually see my face hmm. at some point, which might have helped recognize me in in the bar. Um, but yeah, yeah, he was a good guy, good Mets fan. You know, I got and we we were in a good mood that night. I wasn't. No complaints. So. Yeah, I'm barely hashtag Mets Twitter famous, I feel like. so. Oh, yeah. My, I, I, I'll, I'm taking that as a compliment, yeah. too. Like, I, I, I haven't had many moments like that. Uh, my favorite recent moment, I think, that jumps to mind is I was uh, covering the NLDS for Baseball Perspectives, of course. I was wandering down, I think it was after a game, or was it towards the end of uh, Game 3, I think, after we did the little podcast hit in the Caesars Club or whatever. And this guy notices me or just like like taps me on the shoulders, walking by like, Oh Hey, you're uh you're Jeff Paternostro. Like, yeah. yeah. How's it going, man? Like, oh yeah, I, I troll you on Twitter sometimes <laughs> <laughs> That was how he described himself. It was great. That's my favorite. Yeah, I feel like most of my uh, in you know, in real life, conversations with people have sort of been arranged in a sense. Whether it's been whether uh, you know the Amazing Avenue Regional Gathering here, ARG, or the live podcast, or you know one or two of us are at a game and we tweet it, that kind of thing. So I haven't had a, a whole lot. Maybe I I'm forgetting, but. You know, every once in a while you hear somebody say that, like, oh, my, you know, my neighbor or my friend or my cousin or whatever said they read something you wrote or heard you on the podcast, that kind of thing. But uh, in person, it's been mostly people that I was aware of uh, that that we've, like, met up. So Yeah, I mean, I, I got a Facebook message a, a fair amount back from a girl I went to high school with whose, I guess, husband was in or is, I assume, an avid listener of the podcast. Sort of like out of the blue. Happened to mention my name. She's like, oh yeah, I went to high school with him. Now he's Mets Podcast famous. Just like, hashtag Mets Twitter famous, I suppose. Yes. Our final email is from Kevin. Hello, hipster Jeff and friends. It looks like Terry is set on having Cespedes hit third and Duda hit fourth. I've seen a lot of Neil Walker in the five hole so far, and while he's a nice player, he's probably the seventh best hitter on the team. Matters become more complicated late in games when opposing managers can attack the heart of the Mets lineup with a good left-handed pitcher. Cespedes has reverse splits due to historically a struggle against lefties. 
we might as well have Bartolo Colon hit for Walker against the Southpaw, <laughs> if only for the comedic value. He's not that bad. When I go Granderson right due to Cespedes, Estarno, Conforto, Cabrera, Walker. Two guys to get on base in front of Duda. We'll see a less pronounced shift with runners on base. Well, lineup does a better job of breaking up hitters with the nasty platoon splits. This is freaking Travis Darno batted eighth today, dude. I don't know what to tell you. Not that any of us <laughs> expect Terry Collins to do the best thing, but maximizing the order of the lineup, maybe the difference between winning 91 games and missing the playoffs and winning 93 games and making the playoffs. What are your thoughts on a batting order, assuming the other team is throwing a right-handed pitcher of the podcast? Keep up the great work. I mean, that's fine. That's I would flip-flop Conforto and Darno and Cabrera and Walker probably. But it just, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I don't, it doesn't. I mean, I get the argument they can attack you with a lefty late in games, but if you flip-flop, everybody's got seven relievers now, so they're just going to go righty-lefty relievers against you. You can't, you can't play that game. I mean, you end up with Jerry Blevins against Jeff Francoeur, inevitably. Or in this case, um, I don't know, Steve Ciszek against Alejandro de Aza. Something like that. Yeah. Use Miro Petit against Alejandro Diazzo. Or Steve Ciszek. Is he still in St. Louis? I don't even know. Uh, yeah, I don't remember. I also wasn't entirely sure if he's hurt right now. It's possible. Everybody's hurt, apparently. Yeah. I don't but yeah, I, I mean, I like that lineup. Like I like it. Said. It's fine. It's good. You can do a lot of different things. Again, the nice thing about having eight major league quality hitters is it doesn't really matter the distribution so much you're not worried about clustering like we do the stars and scrubs thing you want to cluster your best hitters at the top of the lineup so a they get more plate appearances in general and b they get more plate appearances after one another for sequencing purposes but again it's not again i i agree with all of this i agree with everything in kevin's email i just can you find 20 runs to get you those two wins through those kind of lineup manipulations? I mean, again, sort of the sabermetric orthodoxy tells you that the least efficient lineups, and that's things like pitcher batting third versus the most efficient lineups will get you a win-ish over the course of a full season. Can you stretch that too? Probably. But again, we're not talking about pitcher batting third here. Talking about the difference between Duda batting fourth and Cespedes batting fourth, or Cabrera batting eighth and Darno batting eighth. It's not nothing, but it's just not significant. I don't think I can get there. I mean, I do it again. You want to try to maximize everything you can maximize, control what you can control, but I don't know. It's what I got. Yeah. I mean, I think the good thing is that there are a few candidates, whatever your order is, on an ideal day. Uh, you know, on the days that David Wright needs to take a day off, a few of those guys in that six, seven, eight of, of the lineup proposed in his email here. Sure, maybe uh, you, it would probably be against a righty, and you move Conforto up to second and bat. Right. Flores seventh. Yeah. Yeah, you've got some depth there. It's cool. It's good. It'll probably be good. It might be terrible, but it'll probably be good. <laughs> and we're Mets fans. We're prepared for both eventualities. 
Those are your emails. Once again, you can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com and we will wrap things up with an IFK Gothenburg update as we do. IFK Gothenburg is kicking off their 2016 Ausvenskan season this weekend, Chris, with a match on Sunday against Falkenbergs. Very nice. So I, I need to get some deets. Sort of what's the what's the expectations going into uh, 2016. And, you know, it's you're always heading for the top of the table. But it seems like our man Anders on the ground in Gothenburg is expecting a mid-table finish this year. They've had some financial issues. And to sell off one of their better players, uh, Gustav Svensson, being a bit of a hole in the central defensive midfield for the 2016 season. I'm personally not sure where the goals are going to come from. Of course, they lost loss of eBay in the last transfer period last summer. He's playing for Brentford right now in the English Championship. They have uh, Per Gustav Engvall up front. He's a striker, and he's still a little bit inexperienced. The midfield lacks a little bit of creativity, and there's some depth issues in the back line. But we'll see how it plays out. That's what we do. The Osvenskian League, man, it's wide open. You never know. But I'm excited. I don't think I'm going to watch it on Sunday. I think I'll be around. I'll probably find a stream. Can I get you a more detailed update for next week's show? Which is our minor league preview. Rosters are already starting to leak, but we'll do our formal minor league preview next week. I promise some sort of Mets prospect baseball prospectus annual drinking game again, I think, too. That should be fun. There are people excited about it. I gotta I think my plan right now is to try to find like the two thousand fifteen and two thousand fourteen annual just to broaden my potential subjects. I don't know how you would get through multiple rounds otherwise. But I haven't really planned this out. I've got WrestleMania on Sunday. I've got a Mountain Goats concert on Saturday. The weekend after, I'm in Binghamton, theoretically, with Greg Karam. He's got to get back to me on that. So feel free to bug Greg Karam on Twitter about that, listeners. So he'll do that. A Bingham team without Ahmed Rosario, apparently. As I think I mentioned earlier in the show. Yeah. But such is life. It's okay. I'm a national prospect writer now, and Toronto has Anthony Alford. Or New Hampshire, in this case. Toronto's AA affiliate has Anthony Alford. I might catch a Connor Green or Sean Reed Foley start in there. Sounds like Gazelman's going to be back in Binghamton. Jeff McNeil might be playing shortstop. Who knows? It's... It's another minor league season, man. Strap in. I live for this. It's cold, cold. Actually, it's two one o'clock games, too, which is preferable early April in Binghamton. That also means me and Greg can light up the town, such as it is. On yes. a Saturday night in Binghamton, man, we're going to get crazy. <laughs> I'm sure that's something that's going to happen. And you'll hear about it all, well, not next week, but the week after, on Amazing Avenue Audio.